The Leaning Tower of Pisa is one of the most visited tourist attractions in the world with 5 million people visiting it every single year. 5 million people over the course of a given year crash the small town of Pisa, Italy, which has a population of 90,000. <laughs> Can you imagine living in a town with 90,000 people only to have 5 million people come and see you every single year? That's pretty astounding, but it's, it's one of the most intriguing tourist attractions in the world. It was constructed in 1173 originally. That's when construction began. Actually, it was on August 9th, 1173. And it was originally designed to be a bell tower there as a part of the church. And, and uh, as they continued construction, the first five years went well. Everything looked good. It was just a very small uh, structure initially. But as they kept adding to it, when they got to the third story, the tower began to lean. The foundation of the tower was only 10 feet into the ground and the, the soil was a mixture of, of clay and dirt. So it wasn't the most strong foundation one could have when constructing a tower. And as they kept adding to the tower, the foundation continued to shift and the tower continued to lean. This happened over the course of hundreds of years. You see, the tower did not just sway all at once. <laughs> it wasn't like you got there one day and it was straight and then the next day it was as we see it today. No, as they kept adding layer after layer after layer after layer all the way up to the bell tower, it, it just continued gradually over time to lean. In fact, it only moved one to two millimeters a year. And that's not that big a deal if you're talking about one year, right? Or two years. But when you're talking about hundreds of years, the tower began to lean at a rate that was unsustainable. And so Italy worked on the tower, worked on the tower, worked on the tower, and largely worked on it unsuccessfully. This may surprise you, but it wasn't until 1990 that the foundation was finally shored up to a permanent structure. It, it was started in 1173. It wasn't until 1990 <laughs> that the structure was deemed finally safe for tourism, which makes you really, really feel bad if you were touring that between 1173 and 1990, <laughs> right? And so what engineers had to do, of course, was to evaluate the foundation and what would be required to provide an adequate foundation to where the lean would be stabilized because of course we only go there to see a tower that's not straight. <laughs> and so of course experts wanted the tower to be fixed with a lean, but fixed so that it didn't fall or continue to move at a rate of one to two millimeters a year. And so finally in 2001, the tower was reopened and it is what we know it to be today. Sturdy and safe, unless you're on the top and you make your way over that, I don't know, 
railing. Okay, that would not be safe. And it didn't always have the railing. So, you know, you had to be careful, but they put the railing up there because some people weren't careful. And that's another part of the story, which is for another message in another day. All right. But it is fascinating to me that a tower could be constructed over the course of hundreds of years with a lean where, where there's just millimeters worth of movement over the course of time and, and actually get to what we know the Tower of Peace to be today. And actually, I think this is, it, it, it's a good illustration of what is happening in many churches across the United States. You know, we live in a day and a time where there, there's certainly a lot at stake, but honestly, there's, there's also been a lot of movement and a lot of churches away from the truthfulness of God's word and the fidelity of the gospel. And here, here's what I, I want you to consider today. Like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, here's what happens. These churches don't just move or collapse all at once. You, you know what happens? You find year after year after year after year, people who are claiming to be Christ followers and churches that are claiming to be faithful churches of Jesus, they're moving one to two millimeters at a time. Month after month, year after year, it's a little compromise here, it's a little compromise there. And then before you know it, you have an unsustainable trajectory. It seldom happens all at once, right? Like, like it seldom happens that you, you, you look at a church, you look at a people, you look at a, at, 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 a, at a fellowship and it's like, okay, one day they were blowing and going and reaching people and, and, and teaching the gospel and, and glorifying God. And literally you walk in to a new year and a new day and, and, and the next week, you know, and it's like, boom, it, it's gone. It's not there anymore. That doesn't happen that way. It happens one to two millimeters at a time. A little compromise here, a little compromise there, a little nod to cultural activism here, and, 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 and a little bit of compromise there. And before you know it, you have a fellowship of people who are no longer identified as people of the gospel, but you have people who are identified as people of the culture. And that's why even 2000 years ago, the Lord gave us a warning that we should be in the world, but not of the world. And this kind of slide happens over time, over the course of many years, over the course of many months. It's not just from one day to the next or one week to the next. And, and so I'm so excited to kick off a new teaching series as we're gonna walk verse by verse through the, to the book of Ephesians because this book is all about having the right foundation. And I'm so excited to, to teach through this letter and to walk through it with you over the next several weeks because I believe that we need to drill deeper into the foundation of God's word and we need to anchor our lives in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The best thing you can do in this new year is to have a commitment to the gospel and a commitment to King Jesus in such a way that is unwavering, a commitment without compromise, a commitment that you'll be faithful to him and his will for your life, a commitment to love him and to serve him all the days of your life and not bow to the pressure of our society. You see, we need the foundation of God's word. We need the foundation of the gospel and we need to always be people who are faithful faithful to the will and the work of God. 
And so this letter is all about that kind of foundation. That's why the apostle Paul wrote it. He actually wrote it to a church in Ephesus that he started. I mean, he wrote it actually toward the end of his life. He wrote it from Rome while he was in prison and he had an opportunity and plenty of time on his hands to write back to some of the churches that he was instrumental in starting and encouraging. And the church of Ephesus was one of those churches. It was a place where Paul actually spent a couple of years. It was a place where like he labored with the people there. He led many of them to Christ. He raised up others to be elders and leaders in the church. And when he left Ephesus, he actually left knowing he would never return. And, and the people there loved him so much and he had invested so much in them that the scripture says when he left Ephesus for that last time, they wept over Paul. Why? Because they would miss his teaching? No. Because they would miss his preaching? No. Because they would miss um, all that he brought to the table as an apostle and having an apostle there? No. They, they, they wept over him for this reason. They knew they would never see his face again. That's the kind of personal relationship Paul had with these people. He loved them. He cared for them. They loved him. They cared for him. And sure, they would miss his teaching. And sure, they would miss his leadership. And sure, they would miss his preaching. But you know what? They would just miss him more than anything else. Just him. They loved him and he loved them. And so while in Rome under house arrest, he, he writes back to these, to these sweet men and women that he had invested so much in. And right out of the gate, we see this is a letter of love and encouragement. And it is a letter where, where, where Paul doesn't have any access to grind. This isn't like the letter that he wrote to the churches of Galatia, by the way. He also wrote a letter to the churches of Galatia. And, and, and basically what he does in that letter is put the people of Galatia over his knee and give them a spiritual spanking. <laughs> I mean, like he starts out that letter, literally, hey, remember me, I'm Paul. And then boom, behind the woodshed, we go. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from the gospel. I mean, you could paraphrase Galatians in the opening of Galatians. Hey, I'm Paul, you are morons. What are you doing? You know, he's like, he's like, he's like trying to get their attention. Like, hey, snap out of it. Ephesians is not that way. Let me show you just the opening verses here, verses one and two, where Paul, Paul says, this is, Paul, this is introductory. This is consistent with all these ancient letters that we have, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Just notice right there, Paul's striking a different tone than what he strikes with Galatians. No, he's... He's like, hey, I'm, and I love this. He's like, I'm, I'm an apostle according to God's will. Like, let me give glory to God. I am who I am because of the grace of God. I mean, Paul's like, hey, I'm the one who used to persecute the church. I'm the one who used to preside over the deaths of Christians. Like I'm literally the last person on planet earth that anyone thought would be used by God to start churches. So I love that right out of the gate. He's like, hey, you remember me? I'm Paul. I'm, 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 I'm like the, the Paul who is an apostle by God's will and God's grace. And then he says, and I'm writing to those of you in Ephesus, these faithful saints. Boy, do you, just do you hear the endearment? Like, he's like, hey man, you guys are faithful. I love you guys. I miss you guys. So it's, it's me. It's Paul, the one who's like untimely born, he says elsewhere, the one who was radically brought to salvation. I'm, I'm writing to these faithful saints. I'm writing to those of you I love dearly there in Ephesus. He says, standard, standard fare here, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so he, he, he just introduces himself and you see the, the, the tone here, man. Paul loves these people. And then check out verse three. I mean, he's gonna anchor their faith in the firm foundation of God's work in God's word. Check, check out what he says here in verse three, kind of, kind of the first, like getting right to it, okay? So he's introduced himself. He's addressed these faithful people. He's kind of set the tone as one of endearing. And he, and he, and he I think, it just, just kind of wraps his arms around him here. Hey, it's me, it's Paul. I love you guys, the faithful saints. And then notice what he says here. He says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. This is huge. I mean, out of the gate, just look at how he's drilling into the foundation of what God has done in our lives. He's trying to anchor their lives to the faithfulness of what God has done for them, to the foundation of his word and his work. He said, blessed be, celebrate, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is huge. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ? In other words, Paul says, let me just right out of the gate remind you guys in Ephesus and through now the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all of us, okay, 2,000 years later, hey, let me just remind Mind you, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Isn't that cool? Like God has equipped us with everything we need, boom, at the moment of our salvation. Have everything we need. I can't imagine how they miss Paul. I can't imagine the, the temptations they faced, the struggles they had, the enemies with whom they battled. I mean, listen, Ephesus was, was a strategic city. And in fact, let me, let me show you a map here of, of Paul's third missionary journey. That's actually when he started, he started the church in Ephesus. And, and you'll see here on this map where Ephesus is located. It's kind of hard to see, um, but, but, but you'll see Paul set out on the right side of the screen there, Antioch and Syria, and he traveled through Galatia. And then he went into Asia Minor and, and um, kind of the lower left of Asia Minor is Ephesus. It's right on the Aegean Sea. It was a very, very, very strategic city. And, and, and because of its location, and its importance, like there, there, there was a lot of culture in Ephesus. There, there were a lot of, of ideas in Ephesus and right there on that, on that coastal city, I mean, Paul labored, like I said, for a couple of years and he, and, he, and, he, and he worked so hard and God did some miraculous, incredible things. And now again, now Paul's in Rome, which is over here on the left side of the screen, you can't see, okay. And so now he's writing back to those believers there and, and, and here's what, he's, here's what he's, he starts with. He just... Just, just, just this refrain, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Well, you're facing external threats, enemies of the gospel, people who are trying to undo the work that God has done. You're facing external enemies. Make no mistake about it. God has given you everything you need to combat these heresies, to combat these enemies, and to be faithful to the gospel. You're facing internal threats. You have temptation. There's the threat of compromise. There, 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 there's the threat of disunity, which he's gonna talk about in the letter. And he's saying, you've got internal enemies. Make no mistake about it. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing to persevere, to endure, and to thrive. And here we are 2,000 years later, and you and I look around. We have external threats, do we not? 
There is heresy, there is compromise, there are challenges, there are frustrations. We live in a broken world. There are external challenges to being a Christ follower in 2022. But here's a word of encouragement, Bell Shoals. We have in Christ every spiritual blessing required to be faithful and effective. There are internal challenges. There are temptations. There, there's confusion, there's doubt, right? There, there, there are times in our lives when we don't walk with the Lord as we should. There are internal challenges. Here's some good news. We have every spiritual blessing we need to be faithful and fruitful. Listen, at the moment of salvation, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God has given us everything we need for life, godliness, and effectiveness. Isn't that good news? We have everything we need. He has blessed us in him with every spiritual blessing. Reminds me of a man I read about years ago in Oklahoma who owned some land and, 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 and did his thing day in and day out, just living life. And, and um, at one point it was reported that, that he may be sitting on an oil reserve. And so they did some checking on it and you know, did all the ins and outs. And sure enough, it was discovered that, that Underneath his land was oil. And so he actually um, went through the process of extracting that oil and over the course of time became a millionaire. And someone commented on one of the stories about this, said the man became a millionaire overnight. But actually that's not true. He was a millionaire all along. He just didn't know it, (laughs) right? Like the oil didn't show up overnight. It's not that he bought the property, lived on it for 10 years, and then boom, all of a sudden there was oil. Like it was there the whole time. He just didn't know it. He was a millionaire the whole time, just didn't know it. And and that's such a, I think, a, a helpful picture of what it means that you and I have every spiritual blessing we need in Christ. You know, so often we have what we need, we we just don't think about it. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, listen, every single follower of Jesus has has. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Is that not true? Every single one of us have at our disposal every single spiritual blessing that God can bestow upon us. We have it. Sometimes we say, God, God, I need your peace. You have it. You have it. God, I need to walk in joy. Yes, you do, but you got it. Just tap into it. You got it. If you're like me and you're driving on Lithia Pinecrest, God, I need some patience. And the Lord speaks, you have it. No, I don't. (laughs) Yes, you do. No, I don't. (laughs) It's just helpful. No matter the external threats, no matter the internal threats, to remember that we are blessed in Christ to have every spiritual blessing we need for life and godliness. And then, now this is profound, Paul highlights for these brothers and sisters in Ephesus and now highlights for you and me, the number one spiritual blessing available and that is the grace of God and salvation. Now, when I say that, I noticed there was no response. 
because probably what I said previously was so profound, you're still contemplating it. It just blew you away and um, you just can't get over it, right? That we have every spiritual blood. Okay, but let me just say this one more time. You don't have to respond now, but I just want you to think about this because it does highlight so often we take it for granted that the number one spiritual blessing we have in Christ is the gift of salvation, the gift of his grace. Which is why Paul said to the Corinthians, when he wrote to them, he says, I've delivered to you that which is of first importance. Say, what's the most important thing about us? Well, Paul said, I delivered to you that which is of first importance, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. That's the most important thing in human history. And now let me take you to verse four. Let me show you what Paul says here as he's highlighting these spiritual blessings. All right, I'm gonna get a little excited. And if you don't like it, then you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to bear with me. You're gonna have to show a little patience. All right, because I think this is awesome. Okay, spiritual blessings. He's given you every spiritual blessing in, in Jesus. In him, every spiritual blessing. Four, okay, this grammatically is an indication that, that it's not standing alone. This is connected to the spiritual blessings that God has given to us, okay? So he's given you every spiritual blessing. But the number one blessing is that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace that he's lavished on us in the beloved one. Man, this is incredible. I wanna remind you today that Paul gave these words to first generation Christians. These weren't men and women who grew up in church. There was no church. These aren't men and women who were theologically trained. There were no seminaries. These are men and women with whom Paul invested two years of his life. And now he's writing back to them to anchor them in the foundation of God's word and work and out of the gate. He says, let me just remind you, you have every spiritual blessing you need for life and godliness to be effective in this world because God has chosen you in him before even the foundations of the world were laid. He predestined you in love as sons and daughters adopted into his family to the praise of his glorious grace. In other words, Paul is saying the number one spiritual blessing you have is the gift of salvation. He's redeemed you. He has saved you. He has delivered you. He's guaranteed you a home beyond this world. He has so worked in your life that you will escape eternal judgment and torment. Paul's saying, let me just remind you, the number one spiritual blessing you have is your salvation. It's foundational. That's everything. As he said to the Corinthians, this is what is of first importance, that our Savior has come, he's lived, he's died, he was buried, and praise the Lord, he rose from the dead. This is the most important thing there is. And then Paul's drawing our attention to this blessing because it's so foundational. And, and let me just show you what he's highlighting here. Okay, here's a key takeaway for today. He's highlighting that our salvation is grounded in God's grace, not our goodness. Our salvation is grounded in God's grace, which is such an important word for us at the beginning of the year where 
We're so often driven by what we do and we're so often discouraged by what we don't. And here's the word of Christ saying, no, regardless of your performance, regardless of your goodness, regardless of of whether in your view you're succeeding or failing as a Christ follower, if you are one of Jesus's sons or daughters, his love abides on you no matter what. He loves you. You say, why does he love me? I'll tell you why he loves you because he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. Now, if you've been around church a while, you know this, this is a confusing text for some. It's been a controversial text. Some have, have made this to read something that it actually doesn't say. And, and so if you've been around a while, no doubt you're familiar that there's some confusion around these verses. But, but today I submit to you, again, that Paul gave these words to first-generation Christians, not as a point of theological debate, but as a point of personal growth. We need these words. We need this truth anchored deep in our heart that we are loved and we are accepted by means of God's grace, not our goodness. We need to be reminded that salvation is is all of grace. We need to anchor our hearts, tether our hearts today to this firm foundation that God's love is unconditional and unending. And that's why Paul wrote these words, not as a point of theological debate, but as a statement of fact and encouragement that we are a people who are loved and chosen in Christ long before even the foundations of the world were laid. And so I humbly submit to you this morning, we must approach this teaching in a way that is both balanced and biblical. No one's gonna fully on this side of heaven contemplate the divine counsel of God and how he works in this world. And none of us have all this figured out, but I, I do want you to understand that, 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 that there's two essential truths that surface throughout the scriptures and throughout human history that we, we need in order to be balanced, but also grounded. Okay, first of all, I just want you to understand that, that the fact that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world does not mean that, that our will is not involved. In other words, God's work in the world and God's work in salvation does not in any way run counter to the free agency of man or the free will of man. Now, these things work together in God's divine counsel. Now, we know this is true because we, we have multiple verses of scripture that highlight the importance of belief and the importance of us confessing our sin to the Lord and, 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 and submitting to his work as savior. Well, let me show you one you may have heard of, John three sixteen. Anybody ever heard of John three sixteen? All right, here it is. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who what? Who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Paul says elsewhere in Romans 10, writing to the church in Rome now, he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him, right? Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame because there's no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him for salvation. So, so here's the thing. We, we know that our wills are involved. 
We know that no one comes kicking and screaming to salvation. So the, 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 the fact that God works in the world to bring us to salvation and the fact that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world is not incompatible with free will and the free agency of man. That is true. But here's, here's what Paul is suggesting. That our will is involved, but only as God allows it, as God invites it, and as God atones for the whole of our sin. In, in other words, let me say it this way. Yes, our will is involved and our activity is involved and no one comes kicking and screaming to salvation, but make no mistake about it. Our volitional activity is not on the same shelf as God's. There is an initiator and then there are responders. And, and so we have to give glory where glory is due. And that glory only rests in one person and that is King Jesus. Yes, <laughs> our volitional activity is engaged, but it's only engaged at the kind initiative of God and the fact that he is atoned for our sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. And we only respond to what God has invited us into and provided for in Christ. And so there's some scriptures to speak to this. Let me show you a few. First John 4, 19. I love this, very simple. We love because he first loved us. We love, we engage, yeah, we follow, we confess, we believe, but we only do any of these things because he first loved us. Notice this also as God spoke to Israel back in Deuteronomy 7, I love this, for you are a holy people, you belong to the Lord your God. Why? Because the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord had his heart set on you and he chose you not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Not because, right, because, because you so love God that he found your obedience amazing. No, but because the Lord loved you and he kept the oath he swore to your fathers. In other words, because he was faithful to you even when you were unfaithful to him and he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. In other words, Deuteronomy giving, giving emphasis to the kind work of God. Israel, yes, is a holy people to the Lord, but they're only a holy people to the Lord because the Lord decided to to choose them and bring them out of bondage and slavery and to be faithful to the covenant that he initiated with them, right? I love what Jesus says in John 6, He says this, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. And then we find another example with Lydia in Acts 16, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira was listening and the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. 
And so here's what we have. Like in, as we think about how God brings us to salvation, we think about what Paul's highlighting here with respect to this spiritual blessing, this greatest spiritual blessing for he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and to be his sons and daughters predestined to adoption, to the praise and the glory of his grace. What is Paul saying? He, he, here's what he's saying. He, he is saying our salvation is not the work of our goodness, not the work of our faithfulness, not the work even of our choosing. Ultimately, our salvation is the kind and gracious work of God through Jesus. And the fact that God has worked in our lives to bring us to salvation involves our will and involves our volitional activity, but it's rooted and grounded in God's. Here, here's what Paul's communicating, okay? It means our salvation is intentional. The fact that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world means that our salvation, I hope you understand this, your salvation, it's intentional. In other words, it's, it's not something that God decided to do on the fly. Oh, shoot, look what, look what these human beings are doing. They're messing up. Now what am I gonna do? Well, I guess I'll save them. Oh, no. All right, guess I'll send the second member of the Trinity down there to save him, redeem him, die for him. No, 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 no. Before the foundation of the world was laid, God had a plan of redemption. Your salvation is intentional. It wasn't something that God decided to do on the fly. Secondly, it's personal. Can I give you some good news today? There's never been a time when God has not loved you, where his love has not rested on you. You see, God exists outside of time. He sees yesterday the same as tomorrow. That's why when Jesus referenced the fact that he is I am, always present tense, everyone knew what he was saying. He was saying, I am sovereign. I am, I am uh, omniscient. I'm omnipotent. I'm, I'm outside space and time. And, and, and what, what Paul is saying is that God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. In other words, this was intentional and it was personal. There's never been a time when God's love did not rest on you. You say, well, I wasn't even born yet. You didn't have to be. God saw the day of your birth in the same way that he saw the creation of the world. And so God's love is intentional, it's personal, and it's merciful. It's not the result of your works or your choice. Yes, you're involved and I'm involved, but only as a result of the kind initiative and provision of God. So here's, here's what this means. It, it, it means, yes, that we're involved, but only as God has invited and provided. Some have wrongly taught over the years. We'll see God's, God's work in our lives is, is based on the fact that he looked into the future and he saw that we would choose him and therefore he chose us. I understand why that's an attractive option, but that's just dead wrong. That's not grace, that's works. And if God chose to work in our lives in such a way that he would look into the future and see what we would do and only decide to do what he would do as a response, then, then listen, here, here's the reality. Here's what the scripture teaches. Then God would have simply looked into the future and saw that every single one of us would rather have our sin and destruction than his grace and salvation. And God would have saved none of us because there's not a single one of us who would have ever woken up on any day of our lives and decided to follow him. So God's choosing is not based on your choosing. 
God's choosing is not based on my choosing. It's not that God looked in the future and said, oh yeah, they're gonna be good people and they're gonna choose me. It wasn't true for Israel and it's not true for you and me. It's stronger than that. It's deeper than that. It's more mysterious than that in some ways. It's hard for us to fully understand, but what Paul's communicating is we have every spiritual blessing in Christ and, and four, here's, because here's the number one blessing. He's chosen us in him before the foundations of the world that we might in love be predestined as sons and daughters to the praise and the glory of his grace. In other words, we have a salvation and a hope that endures forever because it's a salvation and a hope that is freely given to us. Nothing will ever change it. Nothing will ever overthrow it. It's the kind initiative and provision of God. Let me, let me say it to you this way. When we get to the day of judgment, nobody's gonna be walking up to Jesus shaking his hand. There'll be no handshaking with Jesus on the day of judgment. Nobody's walking up to Jesus, oh man, it's so good to see you, finally to meet you face to face. Hey, 50% of my salvation is the result of what you have done. I want to thank you. I know you looked in the future and saw what I would do, and then you kind of accomplished the rest of it. Ain't no fist bumping. Oh, Jesus, man, it's so good to finally meet you. 75% of my salvation, all because of what you did for me. I just want to thank you for that. Oh, Jesus, man, you don't look anything like what I was told you look like, like, you're not white. Okay, so, um, oh, you've, okay, so, right? Jesus, so, hey, 95% of my salvation you accomplished for me. I just want to say thank you. There's no handshaking with Jesus in the judgment. There's no fist bumping Jesus. You know what there is? Bowing the knee. You know why? Two reasons. Number one, because he is the sovereign maker of heaven and earth and you and I are not. And number two, because 100% of our salvation is a result of his work and provision. 100%, 100%, right? Oh man, what a privilege it will be to bow the knee and to confess that Jesus is Lord and then to hear the words that he will say to his sons and daughters, well done, and enter into his glorious heaven knowing that even though, of course, our volitional activity was engaged and even though we confessed our sins and even though we expressed our belief in him and even though we've lived our lives to bring glory to him, yes, all that is true, but it's only true because of all that he has done for us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us in love to the praise and the glory of his grace. Someone's gonna object. Someone's gonna object. Someone's gonna say, well, no, 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 that's not right. Listen, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, I'll know about that. You put a big old salt block about 25 feet from the water source, and you lead that horse by there, you pause for about 10 minutes, let him get a little bit of that saw block. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. When you get to the water source, that horse will freely drink. He will freely drink. You don't have to coerce him. You don't have to make him. He will freely do it. And here's what Paul is saying. I just want you to understand the depth of your salvation. It's more than 
It's dependent upon you and me. That's where a lot of people's theology right now is, it's where it's, it's, where it's rooted. It's a 50-50, it's a 75-25, it's a 95-5. That's why some people frankly say you can lose your salvation. Well, of course, if your salvation is contingent more upon what you have done than what God has done, of course you can lose it. But you can't lose it because it was never yours to give. And here's what the scripture teaches about how God works in conjunction with our will and our volitional activity. Are you ready? God orchestrates conversations. God orchestrates circumstances on the path of life so that you and I begin to contemplate what it means to spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven and hell. We think about our folly. We think about our foolishness, our sin. We think about our, our shame and our guilt and we navigate all. And God, God puts us in circumstances and conversations where we're contemplating these things. For some of you, is at five years old. For some of you, is at 10 years old. For some of you, is at 25 years old, 50 years old. But you begin to really think about about some things in your life that have eternal significance. And then lo and behold, on your way to the water source, which by the way is living water because that's Jesus, God puts a salt block right in front of your path. It's the gospel. And you're thinking about your sin and you're thinking about your shame and you're thinking about your guilt and you're thinking about your eternity and you're thinking about where you're gonna stand and your confidence and assurance and lack thereof and what, what's he, and you're thinking about God's orchestrating circumstances and conversations and then lo and behold, what, what happens? Over the course of days, weeks, months, maybe even years, you're drawn from that salt block, drawn from that salt block, drawn from that salt block because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And you you take from that word and that salt, so to speak, and what happens? Finally, you come to the water source, which is Jesus who gives living water and you freely drink. For me, that happened at 15 years old. That's when I took of the living water. And I confessed my sin to Jesus and I committed to follow him all the days of my life and he saved me and I have never been the same. And when I see him face to face in eternity, it will be on my knees confessing that he is Lord and he is the author and he is the provider and he is the sustainer of my salvation. He orchestrated the circumstances. He orchestrated the conversations. And at 15 years old, I called my student pastor and I said, hey, when I come to church on Sunday, would, would you have someone explain to me what it means to be saved? In other words, I, I keep taking in the, the salt here and I am thirsty. And my student pastor came over to my house the next night and he said, I can tell you why you're thirsty because you're a sinner in need of salvation. And, and here's the good news. God's provided a savior for you who is living water. And if you'll ask him to save you, he will. And let me tell you something. I was thirsty and I said, give me that water. That water that Jesus led me to, that water that Jesus provided and that water that I asked for. All those things work together. But they work together in such a way, hear me now, that God is 100% the author of our salvation. And he will receive 100% of the glory for it forever and ever and ever. 
Now, I am three verses in out of 14, and um, we ain't gonna get through all this today. So here's what I'm gonna be doing this week. I'm gonna be redoing the preaching schedule, okay? Because <laughs> I was supposed to get through half the first chapter, but let me, let me just pause here, because I, man, I just, if we don't get this, nothing else matters. Are you with me? If we don't get this, nothing else matters. This is the foundation we need. That there is salvation available to us that brings eternal life. And there's nothing more important than that. And, and so let me just hit a couple quick takeaways, I promise. And, and, and man, let me just, this is, this, let me tell you why this matters to you in 2022 as you kick off the year. Okay, first of all, assurance. This ought to give you assurance today. Assurance. That the God who chose you in him before the foundations of the world, the God who sent his son to redeem you and to accomplish salvation for you is the God who right now has his love resting on you. And so no matter what doubts you carry in the room with you today, no matter what concerns, no matter what burdens, no matter what acts of disobedience, may I just encourage you just to get right with Jesus if you need to, knowing that you can have and you should have full assurance of faith. He loves you. And he loves you unconditionally. He loved you before you were even born. And this brings full assurance of faith. This is why you'll never lose your salvation. Because if God's truly saved you and given you that living water, you would never want to live a day of your life without it. And number two, he never saves so as to lose. That's why Jesus says in John 6, check this out, I love this. He says, for I have Come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Right? That this is his will. So this is the will of my father, that everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. I hope you have more assurance this year than in any other year of your life, knowing that God's salvation, if you have it, if you've asked for it, if you've confessed your need for Jesus, confess that he is Lord and he has saved you. Listen to me, you can have full assurance of faith today, this year, his love abides on you and he loves you no matter what. Secondly, meekness. Boy, this gives us assurance. It also gives us a healthy dose of meekness. Ain't nobody at Bell Shoals riding around the parking lot on their high horse saying, ain't no wonder God saved me. Nobody should be looking around the room right now saying, I don't know why God saved him. I'm not sure what he was doing with her, but I know what he was doing with me. I mean, come on. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. You know what we all share in common? We're saved with a grace that we don't deserve. I don't deserve it. God did not choose Israel because of their number. And he didn't choose you because of your education, because of your potential, because of your goodness. He chose you because he loves you. And that gives us a healthy dose of humility to live life with assurance, but also meekness knowing we live for his glory and his alone. 
I'm, I'm reminded of the 72. Remember when Jesus sent out the 72? These are just 72 ordinary people like you and me. It's like Jesus walking in the room today and saying, all right, I need 72 of you. You're going to go out here through West Central Florida, and I'm going to empower you uh, uniquely with the Spirit, and you're going to do some crazy stuff, right? And the 72 come back. Check this out. They return to Jesus with joy. Like, they're overwhelmed. They're like, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. This is amazing. And Jesus is like, uh, okay, that's cool. But, you know, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I kind of seen it all. And so here's the deal. I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, oh, I love this. Don't rejoice that, you're, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Oh, how good is that? Jesus saying, yeah, it doesn't matter how much you do. Yeah, I'm going to use you. But don't ever get over the reality of what I've done to save you. There is no spiritual blessing that will ever be better than that. Amen? Isn't that good stuff? Man, Jesus is saying, that's awesome. I'm going to use you. But don't you ever get over the fact that I saved you. You need something tomorrow facing Monday in 2022 and all the madness and craziness out there, the external threats, the internal threats. You need something to motivate you. Here's something. Your name is written in heaven. And God's love is set on you. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world. He loves you. That gives us assurance, meekness, finally confidence. Gives us confidence. Because of the God if the God of this universe is for us, who could be against us? If the God of this universe chose you and me and him before the foundation of the world has set his love on us, has redeemed us through the work of his son, my goodness, there is nothing or no one that can ever overcome the work of which we are a part. And that's why we do what we do here at Bell Shoals. Listen, we're going to continue to celebrate what God's doing because it's amazing and it's worth celebrating. We're like the 72 every single week around here. Like, man, can you believe what God did this week? But listen to me, faith family. None of that should ever trump our joy and our peace and awe. The fact that at his own expense, Jesus came and he saved us. The fact that he uses us is just icing on the cake. Rejoice not that the demons do what you say they should do. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us as sons and daughters to the praise of his glorious grace, not our name, not our goodness, his. And I can think of no better way literally than start the year than hearing these words of Paul to a people that he loves saying, listen, you have every spiritual blessing you need for faithfulness and fruitfulness and none greater than the gift of salvation. So press into it, stand in it, God has a plan for your life.